0: Please stick around to the end of the show, and we will share how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes or so. In the meantime, let's go. Okay, welcome everybody to the Brand Forward Leadership Podcast. I'm Jerry Foster, the big branding guy, also known as the Branding Evangelist. Oh my goodness. I'm having so much fun with this guy. We're just laughing. Uh, He was telling me about his adventures last night the guy's been traveling all <laughs> over the place it seems but he got back here because he said he had to make sure that he was on time for the podcast but he's a great guy I love his personality please walk into the show nathaniel provincio how you doing nathaniel
1: good man living the dream rocking and rolling every day is a blessing so uh, so honored to be here and uh trying to share a little bit about the magic with you you know
0: every day is a blessing. Oh, I got a fellow believer here,
1: it
0: sounds like. We'll see. We'll see. So if you don't mind, Nathaniel, please tell everybody what you do, what your company is all about.
1: Sure thing. I have had the honor and privilege of serving in public education for right around 23 years. I'm starting to lose count. You know, after that 20 years, it just kind of all blurs. Uh, I've been, you know, every job from a superintendent to a substitute. And uh, so you know, from sub to soup, so to speak, and a little bit of everything in between. Six years as a classroom teacher, absolutely loved that. Uh, a couple years as an assistant principal, nine years as a principal, three years as a superintendent. And then after got my situation figured out with COVID and after that kind of like was able to cease out a little bit, I decided that um, the gifts and blessings that I had as an educator, really needed to be expanded uh, past a certain zip code. And so I decided to resign from my public service as a as a superintendent. And I started my own leadership, educational leadership consulting uh, company, uh, you know, as a consultant. And so right now I travel, like we were talking about before, about it's averaging around 200 days a year. And I am working with schools and districts and teachers and teams across the country. And what I'm trying to do is, Accelerate um, the uh, the 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 and mitigate the implications of COVID. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just so much out there, but I also feel like um, we are doing it the wrong way. School leaders are trying to um, focus on stuff and not staff, and focus on programs and not people. And so part of my message is, you know, actually my personal vision statement is ensuring educational excellence for every school. And and so who am I to say that, um, you know, which which kids deserve the best education, right? Is it the kids in, in my zip code or is it the kids in America? And so I'm going to do my little part to reach out to every 93,000 schools, <laughs> public schools in America, and just work with every leader one school at a time, one leader at a time, one teacher at a time, one kid at a time to, um, you know, to make um, to make magic happen. You know, and I think that that's something that we can look at.
0: Well, first off, I just want to salute you and acknowledge you for the work that you do, because being able to ensure help ensure the safety of our students is everything. And and this is at the high school level or what?
1: All levels, All levels. All
0: levels. OK, OK. And it's so funny you're bringing this up because uh, I have a friend of mine who is an infectious disease preventionist. She's a registered nurse. She's also a past client. And I remember working with her last year and I learned a lot about safety protocols and how to make sure that the right things are in place for these schools. So give us some some context on that, because it's one thing to be able to tell these schools what they need to do. But how do you ensure that it actually follows through, and that all of these protocols and all of these measurements are in place to prevent COVID or any other kind of infectious disease from spreading? Right.
1: Well, uh, I'm not a health and safety guy. I'm right, an so education guy. So, it's uh, well, it's it's learning loss. It's the uh, the learning loss effects from the pandemic. Right. Okay. So when schools closed. Education, as we know it, stopped. Right, teachers and schools across America—they had to stop uh, instructing in traditional ways, and they had to start, you know, doing it through virtual means. Uh, they had to, you know, there was a lot of political turmoil that was going on. Do we open schools? Do we close schools? All of that impacted education. I think right now the research is saying uh, that students, on average, are three to four months behind academically um, from where they were before. Um, you know, and schools did the best that they could with all the logistics. But I'm not really concerned about the logistics of the, the quote unquote safety measures because I think we're we're where we need to be with that. I'm concerned with helping educational leaders, teachers, and teams instruct better, and I. And one of the issues that I have as I'm doing this consulting work is that, kind of like what I was mentioning, is that there's too much investment in stuff and not enough empowerment and engagement with our teachers, our students, and our parents and families. Okay. So you told
0: me when you talked about COVID. So, okay. <laughs> I thought you were, okay. So that threw me. All right. So that's
1: all right. I'm glad we clarified it.
0: All right. So you're really showing these educators, these teachers, how to be more effective as a teacher
1: that's what i'm trying that's what i'm trying to do okay. and they are effective but oftentimes past you know past practices aren't it's it's not going to make an impact with today's issues okay you know I, someone once you know what, who's it einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over expecting a different result right and so i'm trying to leverage some of these lessons and positive experiences that i had as an educator and share those experiences with schools across the leader or across 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 the nation, which is why I'm on this podcast, because your podcast is brand forward. And that really resonated with me as an educator because I think our school leaders don't think about their job as a CEO of a school, as a non-for-profit organization, which very well may be the most important non-for-profit organization in the community. And I, and you know, God bless our school leaders. You know, they were trained a certain way. They were, you know, they have the organizational stuff, but are they branders? Are they branding their school's excellence? Are they marketing the possibility of hope for their kids? Are they retaining their teachers and staff, who, by the way, are leaving in droves? Or do they see students, staff, and families as vital customers? And are they creating customer service and experiences for their community? And I see that as a missed opportunity. I see a lot of money being thrown around on programs and stuff, but I'm not seeing an investment in staff and people. Wow,
0: wow, wow. So what's an example of how you go about delivering that? Is there a sweet spot that you have in terms of um, titles or subject matter? or I mean, how do you how do you break down exactly the areas that they need to focus on to be better educators?
1: Yeah. So I, I often have believed that we as educators, we don't just teach students. We teach families as well. And I'm talking specifically with our public schools. Yes, we are dealing with students and there are most precious customers that we're that we're dealing with as educators. But our parents and our families are, are that child's first educator. They may not always be the best, but they're the first educator. And I feel like there's a missed opportunity to see our parents and families as assets, as true partners in this and their child's educational journey. Okay. And so, one of the things that I work with is I give school leaders a kind of a 4A process for okay. working to engage their parents and their families. And I'll break those down for you real quick. So, the first A is attendance. Okay, attendance. Here's the question. School leaders, what are you doing to measure and monitor your parents and families attendance at your school? Are you creating a situation where it is so welcoming that any parent and family would just, it's just beating down the door to be in the school and be a part of their child's education. I'm not talking about football games or I'm not talking about the, 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 the fairs or whatever. I'm talking about attending inside the school or just being a part of their child's education for years i think that parents and families have felt a little disenfranchised that they could have a voice in the school and they and you know there are certain cultures that feel like they have to set themselves apart from the school but i want to help build attendance i want to raise the visible presence of parents and families and visitors inside the schools to partner with their teacher to help their kids And I'm not talking about making copies, I'm talking about making connections. I'm not talking about parents and families building bulletin boards, I'm talking about parents and families building relationships. And so how, so the first A is what are we doing to measure and monitor the attendance in our schools for our families? The second one is academics. We need to be exceedingly transparent with this specific instructional standards that we are communicating and teaching to our kids. We need to a- a embrace the level of transparency. We need to promote what we're teaching in our classrooms. We need to share how we're going to be assessing our students and we need to give our parents and our families an opportunity to be partners in helping with ac- with academics. You know, when you and I were kids, it was like, do your homework, mm-hmm. but now we want our parents and families to not only like help with homework but understand how we're teaching in the classroom. So our parents and families can teach and reinforce those skills in the home. So that's the, that's the second one, right? That's academics. The third is attitudes. If you take any business, right? That's you want to know your Yelp reviews. You want to know if you're getting a five-star rating or a one-star rating. Well, you know what parents and families have the opportunity to share their attitudes about the school as well. So what kind of perceptions perceptions reality right so what kind of perception are the school leaders creating for their parents and families so that a positive perception is pervasive in the school mm-hmm. so you know it takes you know what does it say it takes like i don't know 20 positive encounters i don't know what the research says to negate one negative encounter but think about how many negative encounters our parents and families have historically had with their schools right there's a negative perception with a lot of schools were a horrible place for some of our parents and families. And then when they have kids, they carry those negative perceptions into today's schools. So what can we do as school leaders to just really, really be mindful of the perceptions and the attitudes that our community has and really work to create these positive experiences for our parents and families. So that's the third one, right? Attitudes. And then the last one is advocacy. I think schools have an opportunity to seriously advocate for the needs of the community. There are a lot of challenging, uh, challenged communities that are out there, a lot of disenfranchised communities, a lot of marginalized uh, uh, groups. And I think that our public schools have an opportunity to really seek out ways to advocate and help support those families. And if we can advocate for our parents and families, they'll advocate for us. So that's the structure that I try to work with, you know, creating a a brand, right, creating a customer-centric mentality for our schools across the country, and uh, it's something I'm very passionate about, and I think that if we can focus more on, you know, the the relationships and how we create and brand and market our public schools, then some of the challenges that we're having right now in our country would be mitigated.
0: So I'm I'm glad you brought up about uh, marginalized schools within the context of public schools, so give us an idea of, the types of schools that have been uh, very receptive to what you are bringing forth. Are these the white schools, the Hispanic and brown kids schools, or uh, the black kids in the hood and the, in the marginalized community? Who's where are you getting your love? Where are you, where, where are you getting your acceptance?
1: Uh, Everywhere. And, and, and I'm one of the things that I found that every school we have 93 plus thousand schools, public schools in America. Right every school wants the best. Well, let me say this, every parent and family wants the best for their kid. Yeah. Um, But our, we have communities, especially like urban communities or really rural communities. Sometimes they've been so disenfranchised with what it means to be a part of something bigger than themselves, that it's almost become like pervasive that, you know, we're just, it's the same old thing. Every, year after year, we're sending our kids to a failing school. We're sending our kids here. And I need those those schools, those school leaders and those teachers to understand that we have to start reaching out to that community and not be afraid. It, you know, when we when we work in challenging communities, do we see our parents and families as assets or do we see them as obstacles? It's such a mindset. and And I often ask, like, well, do you ever do, like, You know, school leaders, like in some of these challenging communities, it's like, do you ever like knock on doors? Do you ever like do some home visits? Like, oh, no, no, we're scared of that. We're not going to do home visits. We're scared to go to the community. And I'm like, really? Like, you you have kindergartners that are walking, you know, five and six year olds that are walking through this community all the time. And it's safe for them, but it's not safe for you. Let's, we need to change our perception. And I think if school leaders are empowered and given the autonomy to say, you know, it's okay to go door to door, it's okay to market your excellence, it's okay to sell what you're trying to do and start building relationships with communities that have never had a seat at the table, right? So it doesn't matter if you're a high socioeconomic, if you're a low socioeconomic, you know, high Hispanic population or immigrant population or whatever the subgroups are, our schools have to have the mentality that every parent matters, just like every student matters. And what are we doing to reach out to them in proactive ways? Or are we just complaining all the time? Oh, yeah. And so mindset is something that, yeah, I mean, it's something that you can teach, but it's also something you got to have. So when you're hiring staff, do you have a staff that you're hiring that has a heart for that kind of mission? You know, And I think as we start looking at that and investing in those types of programs, and, you know, work with coaches, you know, maybe like, you know, like myself or other coaches that are out there to give principals and school leaders the tools and strategies they need in order to run their schools through a customer-centric mindset, well, then the academic part will take care of itself.
0: Well, you're hitting a sweet spot of mine because my mom was an educator. She was a high school English teacher uh, and when she passed, she was a department head mm. in Detroit public schools. And if you know anything about what happened in, in Detroit with the public yeah. schools, many of them were, were shut down. So I mm-hmm. really, really just want to acknowledge you for what you're doing. I'm curious though, how are you getting your foot in the door? Because did, did, you, ever, did you ever see the documentary film Waiting on Superman? Oh,
1: I think so. I don't know. Yeah, wow. you got to
0: check that out because it talked about just how how screwed up the school system is in America Hmm. because it varies by state. And then within the state, you have all these counties. Within the counties, you've got all these districts. Within the districts, you've got all these different schools. And you've got the, the unions, the teachers' unions, which seem to run everything. And it just talked about how fragmented it is. So I'm curious, Are you penetrating these schools by going to the district offices Are you going into the principals? I mean, how are you even how are you even getting heard?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, there is, you know, when you're a, you know, a, you know, consultant basically of, you know, one or, you know, and I have a few partners that I work with. There are some amazing. Uh, groups and organizations that will work with you. So I partner with a group called Solution Tree, which is an amazing publishing company, educational publishing company, that also works very specifically with educational leadership, consulting, and those things. So on one avenue, I partner with an organization that helps with these kinds of contracts. But on the other thing, I believe in grassroots missionary work. So if you and I are having a conversation, You know, someone sees this podcast and they're like, hey, you know, Nathaniel, I like what you're saying. I'd like to learn more about creating a customer centric school leadership environment for my school. Great. We have a conversation. We see what's going on. And I believe that the universe brought us together. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to work and build a relationship with that school or that district or that superintendent. And we're going to see how, you know, the skills that I've been blessed with to have could maybe be a nice match for you and your district. And then. When I'm working with that school, that's the only school that matters. And I'm going to give 110% to that school. And then we'll let the results speak for themselves. So this is a very grassroots kind of kind of thing with this work. I was I was sharing uh, with a colleague the other day. He said, you know, you were a superintendent, man. You were, you know, you had a good thing going. Why did you resign? Like you had retirement that you were looking for, you were gonna be set for the rest of your life. And I said, you know what? After after COVID. After we started opening up our schools, there were so many schools in this country that were that were broken and needed help. Yeah. And as a father, I want the best for my child. Right. But as an educator, why would I want any less for anyone else's child? Right. So I decided, you know, I, I prayed about it. I meditated about it. I worked with, you know, with, with great people and mentors around me. And I decided not to be relegated by a zip code to share this message of hope. So what I did, I, I resigned, you know, at, you know, 44 years old. And I decided to say, you know what, if I can just help one school, then I, maybe I've served my purpose. Well, one school turned into a 200 day contract with schools across, across America to help with this work.
0: How many schools do you have now?
1: So, I average about 200 days of travel and work a year, but that work varies. So it's everything from keynote speeches, which I love, to grinding it out, working multiple days, sometimes 10 days, sometimes 20 days with different schools across the country, um, to podcasts, to Zoom meetings, I write. Um, So I'm trying to do everything I can to use as many platforms to share this message of customer service, uh, school leadership. Teamwork, team building with schools across America. And I and and the work is so f- fulfilling yeah. because it's something that I can actually see tangible results. And every school, knock on something, every school that I've ever worked at has seen growth and proficiency. So when and, you say I'm sorry, yeah. good. Yeah, no, and it's it's just an awesome thing to have. But schools have to be willing to invest the time and energy to embrace the message because you know, I'm just one person. I am not Superman, right? And and no one is. But if I can work with a school and they can create uh, a movement of excellence and really focus on that collective teacher f- efficacy and listen to see how can we stop doing things like we've used used to. And, you know, because business as usual is not gonna be business anymore. And so if we can bring in a coach or if we can bring in a consultant to work with us and kind of help change our trajectory, it might be the, the vitamins that a school needs to move from a D school to a B school to a C school to an to an A school, whatever it is. And uh, I'm just honored to be a part of this journey.
0: This is great. And so going back to your grassroots efforts, so are you literally knocking on the doors of these schools and demanding to see the principal? Or are you going to the district office? or Are you going to their annual conferences? I mean, how are you getting the one-on-one connection?
1: Yeah, you know, I was a very blessed principal. Um, I was in, yeah, I was a principal for nine years, and I was in a situation where we had to turn our school around. Um, We were, this was around 2010, we were one of the lowest performing schools in Virginia. Okay. And, I started figuring out that I, I did not as a principal, as a new principal, I did not have the skills, the training, the talents, the expertise or the backgrounds needed to change the school culture. I just, I couldn't do it. And so I said, but what I do have is I have an ability to build a really damn good team. And so I started working with my, my teacher leaders. I started figuring out that my school community, my parents and families could really be assets with our journey and our our turnaround journey. And so I embraced the mentality of collective teacher efficacy and I embraced the mentality of collective community efficacy. And that just basically says that individual, we can't make a change, but collectively we can. So I invested in um, a process called professional learning communities. I invested in empowering and equipping our parents and our families. And in five years, we became one of the highest performing title one schools in Virginia. And I was honored as the Virginia principal of the year. The Prince William County was with my district principal of the year. I was the Washington Post principal of the year. Um, And so that message of hope resonated with schools around the country. And so they were like, well, if this guy can turn around a school of eighty percent free and reduced lunch uh, population, eighty uh, percent second language learners. Well, then we want to hear what he has to say, and he wa- and we want to be a part of what this school can do. So, your we had to take our mess and turn it into a miracle, and then that miracle became our message. And so, and so, the same success that I felt and was able to experience as a principal, I want that. I want other schools around America to experience that same success. So, so you have you the cash yeah. in. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, you don't just show up and say, Hey, I want to help your school. So and I'm not going to be knocking on doors. I'm not going to be cold calling. I don't do that. Um, I let the work speak for himself. So when I work for a school, and if a school has success and if a school wants to be able to keep investing in that, then they'll seek me out. Um, you know, and I think that's, you know, with consultants, you know, it's it's a tricky game, you know, I don't have like a, you know, a, a company of 20 employees doing this work. Um, it's me. And and so, you know, I'm I'm not interested in like, you know, scaling or all these technical jargony terms, you know, that the business world use. I'm 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 interested in cultivating relationships, one well, school at a time, one district at a time, one teacher at a time.
0: I love it. I love it. And it also helps that you speak the language because you were nine years as a high school principal yourself.
1: Yeah, school. elementary school principal. Yeah, man, oh, elementary school right. principal.
0: Elementary school. So, yeah. so when you can go in there and say, "Listen, been there, done that. Know exactly what you're dealing with," and so they're going to listen to you because you're one
1: of them. Well, and- authenticity matters, and you know, it's one of these things where, like, I've worked with you know consultants and other you know fields and things, and it's you know, I'm bright kids, you know, right out of college, but they've never done the work. Yeah. Right, and and I think that who do I want to learn from? Well, I want to learn for someone who's been in my shoes. I want to learn for someone who's had the same challenges that I've had. I want to learn from someone that's, that's, you know, you know, bled, you know, with, with this industry. And, um, but I also want to learn from someone that's done the work. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, my company is called proven principle. So proven provincio is my name, yeah. but I feel like it's, <laughs> I'm proven like, like I have the results to show that the work is there and, but the work's not done. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of how we do it.
0: So, I'm curious about your observation on the state of education in America. When you look at the high schools and the middle schools and the elementary schools, what really bugs you? What's the bad Intel perhaps that they're receiving? What are they yep. wasting their time and money on when it comes to all of this? What are, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I'm a fierce public education champion. Um, I am not going, you know, but I also believe that options and choices for families is respectful. So it's, you know, cause as a parent, you know what I mean? I, I understand that, you know, I want to make sure that I have options for my kids, but I would also hope that my child's public school option is still the best option. And so here's what I'm saying, you know, the challenge in public education right now is that we're under our public educators are under immense pressure and scrutiny, no doubt. Um, I see a this is my opinion, my editorial opinion, but I believe that there's a false narrative going around in in certain segments of our population that all 93,000 of our nation's schools are, you know, uh, cauldrons of violence, and that the schools are forcing wacky liberal agendas and. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further than the truth. I'm in schools all the time, and I have never seen some of the false narratives that are being put out by, you know, certain segments of our of our nation. But I will say we have our public educators, especially our school leaders, have got to change how we're doing business because teachers are not coming to the profession like they used to. 30 percent of all new teachers leave the profession after the first year right now. That's immense. So we're losing customers in the fir- in, in the sense of our employees. There's more choice than there's ever been before. So parents and families have the choice to leave leave public schools like they've never before like they've never been done before. So it's it's a so we have to understand that business as usual cannot be our business. So school leaders have got to start embracing change. And they can't, there's no magic bullet. There's there's not enough uh, stuff that you can buy. There's not enough programs or technology that you can buy to uh, retain and attract our customers. But what we do need to do is invest in relationships. Our school leaders need to really show our teachers and our staff that they are honored and that they are valued and they don't have to be everything to all kids but not only do our is that the responsibility of our school leaders it's the responsibility of our nation mm-hmm. our you know i i often get comparisons like well what about finland finland's the best school of education why is finland outperforming america and i was like okay let's talk about that finland honors and values and respects its educators
0: mm-hmm.
1: right finland has a culture that honors education so American culture honors education, but it, but it honors it in a different way. And sometimes our culture has begun to demonize public educators when our public education system is the backbone of our democracy. So especially, and this definitely happened after COVID. And so, but our, but our school leaders and our, and our district folks need to be aware that the narrative is changing. So we need to keep investing in customer service. We need to cus- invest in customer experience, not only for our students, but for our teachers and our families as well. And so I love the, the the conversations about vision and mission, right? Every good company, right? Has a good vision and mission statement. Well, schools have vision and mission statements as well. But I got to tell you, every time I ask a principal or a school leader what their vision statement is, very often they have no idea. Why should I, as a parent, And trust you with my child if you don't even know your why, if you don't even know your sense of purpose as a school. Why should I invest, bring my child to your school if you don't know about your goals? Why should I invest my child in a school when there's no clear sense of culture or community? Well, if we can start creating that sense of culture and community, invest in our vision statement, a strong vision statement, strong mission statements, clear articulation of our academics, and clear relationships, well, then maybe I don't have to look at the homeschool option. You, you see what I mean? And our school boards, our school boards who play a very, very specific role in this also need to get on board as well. And as long as we're infighting and um, you know disparaging the, the efforts that our public school educators are having, we are going to keep being divided. So when we we can rally around excellence and we can rally around opportunity, then our schools will start growing in ways we've never dreamed of. And that's what other countries do. And that's what we can learn from other countries.
0: Wow, Wow. Well, listen, I can only imagine you must have a ton of success stories that you could share with us. Is there one in particular that you really, really are most proud of, of one of the schools that you've worked with at any level? that you like to share with us.
1: Ah, oh, there's there's a lot. I I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change this story up a little bit, okay? I going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it, <laughs> and I'm going to flip it. All right, I'm going to flip it just because I was thinking about this story on the plane ride last night at 1:30 in the morning. You know, as a school leader, my greatest successes um stemmed from my relationships with either my teachers, my students, or my parents and families. So I'll share with you a success story that I had as a principal. Um, and this is kind of interesting. So years ago, this is probably eight years ago, I'm school supply shopping for my little boy and my little girl. This is the ubiquitous getting ready for the start of the school, school shopping. So I think we're at like, I don't know, Target or some some school, right? And I was like a second-year principal or something, and and I, I had the task as the dad to go buy all the school supplies. So I've got the, the 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 laundry list of like 200 items that I've got to buy my kids. Right, the erasers, the h the you know HDMI cords, I don't know, Post-it notes, the rulers, and I'm like, why are my why are you spending on what's all this all these school supplies? What are we doing? So I'm complaining. Uh, with my kids, you know, and I've just dropped $200 on school supplies for the kids. And I'm anyway, I'm standing in line, visibly complaining about m- me spending all this money on my child's school supplies. I noticed that there's a lady in line right behind me, and she's nodding her head in agreement and saying, Yeah, I'm having to spend all this money on school supplies too. And, you know, I'm a struggling mom, you know, like like, you know, this is a lot of money, but I want my kids to have everything they need for school. So I'm going to put on my credit card. We're going to make it work. And I was like, yeah, this really sucks. And then she and then I she asked me what school um, my kids go to. And I shared the school and then I asked her, what school do you go to? And she says, I go to the name of the school was Minneville Elementary. Now, Minneville Elementary was the school that I was the principal of. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So I'm like I'm part of the problem. I'm part of the problem. Right? So I'm over here complaining about school supplies, she's over here. and I'm like I'm the, I'm the principal. What and here's and and but here's the point. Why in America should we be still asking our parents and our families to spend money on school supplies when we have enough resources in this country to provide every kid everything that they need? so that they can have a good quality and equitable education. So I said, ma'am, listen, I'm the principal of your school. I apologize. I want you to come and have some coffee with me tomorrow, and we're going to fix this. And so from that day, as a principal, I said, we will no longer ask our parents to buy any school supplies for their children. We're going to work with our business partners. We're going to work with our PTO. We're going we're to raise money. We're going to do everything we can. But when our kids start school, they're gonna have everything that they need. And that's we're not gonna let school supplies be a barrier for, for excellence. Now, I share that story. Like when you when you asked me that story, I, I'm sharing that story because school leaders need to listen to their customers. Mm-hmm. They need to listen to their students. They need to listen to their staff. They need to listen to their parents and families. And when we start listening, we will find opportunities for excellence. So that's a story that's always resonating with me. And that story helped turn the tide for my school as a principal because we started really investing in our parents and families and bringing them to the table and offering, you know, asking their opinions about matters. And it helped our school be tremendously successful. It helped me be tremendously successful. So there's countless numbers of schools that I work with that when they start listening to their customer, then their customers will guide their excellence. And I think that's something that our school leaders aren't trained to do, to be quite honest with you. And that's one of the things that I can help uh put on the table about how we can really embrace the the perspectives um and uh and viewpoints of our parents, our students, and our teachers.
0: And I love it. And my friend, I gotta I gotta go back to the marginalized schools, though, the, the schools in mm. the hoods and the, the inner cities. I mean, when you start when you start thinking about different school districts, LAUSD, mm. South Central, uh New Jersey, parts of Detroit, Chicago. I mean, we could go on and on and on where they don't even have books. They don't even have supplies. They don't even have desks. I mean, they're using textbooks that are dated 10 or 15 years ago. Oh my yep. God. What, what are your thoughts around that? I mean, you can give all the speeches. You can give all the all the direction. What do you do?
1: You know what? If I'm going to get a little political here. If more politicians sent their kids to public school, those problems would be fixed.
0: Ooh. Uh-oh, see, see, now, see, now you're getting real. Come on. I have
1: to. I have to be authentic here, right?
0: Come on, come on. Be-
1: and, you know, and I also have to say this. Does every child in this country have our last name? Does every child in this country have your last name, right? And if we could treat every child in this country as if they were our own child, then those communities would have books. Those communities would have desks. Those communities would have quality teachers. But, but until that mindset happens from from the from the highest from the from the president all the way down to the principal, right? From the president all the way down to our parents. If we don't have that mindset, we're going to continue to have marginalized communities, continue to have disenfranchised communities, and generational poverty and that takes bold action. It's not about demonizing public education. It's not about taking resources away from our teachers. It's about finding resources to invest in these communities. You know, right now, there are fighter jets that are sitting in parking lots across from, you know, in airstrips in countries all over the world that are just created to scare the enemy, never being used, Right. Never, never being fired up. Right. And yet there are kids in Washington, D.C. schools without desks and books. Hmm. Does every child in this country have our last names? Now, that's a mantra that I have to think about, too. And just like I would want the best for my child, why would I want anything less for a child in D.C. or Detroit or South Central? Right. And it's I know that that's kind of like a feel good mentality. But it's not impossible. It's not impossible, and I'm not talking about you know a liberal agenda or some socialization, you know, whatever. But but do you want to know why Singapore and Finland and Denmark and China and all these other countries have a have a higher ranked educational system than we do? Hmm. Maybe it's because their mindset is a little bit more on treating every child like their own, hmm. and that's the problem, right? Now I can't fix that, little old me. I can't fix that, yeah. but I can fix one principles mindset. I can't work with one teacher. I can't work with one team. And I know that, you know, I've got, we've all got a finite amount of time on this earth, but can I just do the most good for the most people with the best that I can? And I may not be, you know, it's just me, man. But um, that's why I'm on podcast. That's why I write. That's why I try to use as many mediums as I can to share this message with people, because it's just too dang important.
0: You know, we brought up the, the whole thing about the principals and the school boards and the teachers unions and all of that as the word spreads about your work because like you said you have proof you have a body of work of success that people can hear about I'm curious who reaches out to you is 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 it the principals themselves or is it the boards I mean how do people really find out about you
1: Yeah. So, you know, I um, once again, if I can do the best job I can with one school, then maybe that one school will share the message that maybe that. And I I tell people all the time, if I if you don't see improvement, don't recommend me. (laughs) You know what I mean? But if you see improvement and you think that, you know, either myself or 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 solution tree or any of the other, if we can be of a then reach out to us. Hmm. And so so oftentimes who reaches out to me, it's all the above. Um, I have teachers that reach out to me and say, Hey, look, we're trying to change the trajectory of our school. I'm going to DM you, you know, let's get in contact with your principal. I got principals to say, Hey man, i just heard or read your book, uh, or I saw your podcast or I, I read your, your newsletter or your articles. You're fantastic. We'd love to be able to partner with you. Um, so all of it's word of mouth, man. And, and I do believe in a higher power. I, I believe that the universe puts me with schools for a specific reason and, um, uh, And I think that that's that's what I want to want to be able to continue to do. It's a grind, brother. I'm on the road 200 days a year. I mean, I'm in hotel rooms. I'm away from my family like I'm away from my kids. I'm still relatively young. I don't know if I'll ever retire. But um, but, man, I got to tell you, the work is awesome. And being able to change the lives of kids and change the lives of communities. What a blessing it is to, to be in that kind of service.
0: Well, you know, Nathaniel, is because you discovered your purpose and you're living out your purpose, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. You know, and, you know, and I often, I, you know, I often hear people say it that, you know, your pain is the birthplace of your purpose. I, um, I grew up in a very small Southern town. I was like one of the only Hispanic kids in the, in the community. My family, you're my Hispanic. mom and dad, were, yeah, right. <laughs> My mom and dad. That's really when people look the, at me and
0: go, "You're black."
1: I, I know, right? It's like, "Hey, man!" And then people will say, "Well, do you speak Spanish?" I'm like, "No," but does that make me less Hispanic because I don't speak Spanish? <laughs> anyway, it's another conversation. I know.
0: No, we we can talk about that another.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. But you know, my parents were the first in their families to like graduate high school, and I was the first in my family to to have the honor of going to college. And you know, I had great teachers. You know, growing up in the South. um, but you know, I also had teachers that I didn't resonate with. And so my that pain, I'm not gonna say pain, but you know those kinds of challenges, you know helped give me purpose. And just like I wanted the best education that I could possibly have, I want any kid to have the, that best education. And so you know we, you know as you know each generation always wants to do better than the generation before. And I feel like the best way I can do my I can contribute to not only education, but also the nation, you know, is through working in our in our schools. So our pain gives us purpose. And so and that's something that I always want to challenge with. And I got to be honest with you, I've got a chip on my shoulders. Right. I I want marginalized communities to kick ass. I I, I want uh, communities of color to be lauded as the exemplars and the lighthouses of hope for our, for our countries. Because as a principal, our school did that. And you know, when I heard rhetoric that children and families from West Africa or Central America um, were unworthy of the American dream, so to speak, then that was fuel for me To show that our school with 80% second language learners from countries like Cote d'Ivoire and and Sierra Leone, Nigeria and Honduras and El Salvador, that we're going to show everyone what we can do. And we were able to do that. And yeah, sure, maybe a little little chip on my shoulder. But if we could do it, anyone can do it. But we have to embrace best practices we've got to embrace our community we've got to embrace customer service and experience and we've got to be able to communicate a brand of excellence for our schools and that's why I'm on this podcast
0: that's right <laughs> and you know I don't let everybody on this podcast I, I turn down more people than I than I accept so it's a good
1: um, problem to have it's a good problem get, to have
0: I get bombarded But I love when you just talked about best practices. Does that include sometimes overhauling curriculums? Hey, bringing in new books, new supplies?
1: Yeah, you know what? I I will say this. I have found recently that there is an over-reliance on stuff and an under-reliance on staff. And there's a lot of quick fixes that our country and our school boards and our states are trying to do right now. There is no curriculum. There is no program that is so magical that it's going to meet the needs of the diverse students and families that we have in our classrooms. But but there's a lot of uh, over-reliance on stuff. And I think there's a place for stuff, but it, I always think of it like you've got to focus on your standards yeah. first and foremost, Every, every, every state has standards, you know, whether it's, you know, common core standards, state standards or whatever. Focus on the standards and really work for clarity and intentionality with what the standards are asking you to do as a teacher and what your kids to to learn. Then look at your curriculum, look at your stuff and see if there's an instructional match between what you have to use to teach, the tools and the outcome, which is the standards. Then look at your students every student has different needs backgrounds experiences culture that they're bringing to the classroom and then seek out to find ways to utilize their strengths as learners to teach these standards so think of it as students curriculum uh, standards standards curriculum students right that little triangle that's where the magic happens. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably what your mom did a magical job with, right? Look, I don't want substitutes in my in my school. I want professionals in my school, right? And um, and I think that we've lost track of what it means to um, focus on standards. I think we've lost a little track of what it means to focus on students. And we're way too focused on curriculum. And we're Yeah, go where, ahead,
0: man. No, no, no. Where, where do the parents come in? Because so, you got to yeah. connect with them as well. Go
1: ahead. The parents need to be at the table. You know, I I once heard someone say that if you're not at the table, you're being eaten for lunch. Right. So we need to be very open and transparent with what we're teaching. Right. And just bring in the parents, be be communicate those essential standards. Talk to your parents and, and your family saying, hey, mom, dads, listen, this is what we're going to be focused on. And this is how we're going to focus on it. You know, we're not there's no hidden agenda that we're doing in our schools. This is the standards that we're focusing on. And what happens is when parents aren't at the table, when they're not communicated about the essential standards that schools have to teach, then they leave and find another group that's going to listen to them, right? And and they're gonna find a voice whether you like it or not. So if they're not at the table, they will find another table. And I think that's where there's been a lot of disconnect between specific or certain parent groups and public education is that those parents were not probably at the table to begin with. They got, they got, you know, pissed off and now they're making their voices heard. But what we need to do is uh, bring them back at the table and say, listen, these are standards. Here's our curriculum. Here's what we know about your students. Here's our vision and mission. These are our goals as a school. This is our brand as a public education institution. And we want you to be a part of this. And a lot of times our principals don't have the training to do that. So, you know, what are some strategies? What are some techniques? What's some action plans that we can do to start creating a, a culture of excellence, a community of excellence, interdependence and not independence? Mm-hmm.
0: Listen, if people, this is this I could go on and on all day with you because this <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm almost moved to tears. But I got to ask you this. People tuning in, our listeners, our viewers, if they want to connect with you. How do they do so, my friend? What are your socials? Which your URL? Yeah. What's all your contact info? Yeah, um,
1: uh, my probably the best way to get a hold of me when 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 folks are looking out is is my Twitter page or X or whatever it's called now. I don't know, Twitter X or whatever it's called. Uh, but I'm um, it's at Proven Principle. That's the best way to get a hold of me. Um, my website is uh, proven principle and all my information, and you know, and you know, is out. It's out there. I have a book called "Community Connections in Your PLC at Work." Uh, it's right behind me somewhere. That blue book right over there, and it's a book about how to leverage uh, a co- uh, community perspective on on building, um, uh, you know, family engagement. So, you know, I have. That's the best way to get a hold of me. Um, you know, I'm pretty booked you know, for this year, like I said, almost 200 days. And like, I do like my kids and my family and everything. I do want to see them. But uh, I believe that if someone contacts me, it's because the universe wanted to bring us together. And so if anyone li- is listening and not just in education, also the business world as well. Um, I, I think that business leaders and school departments and different state departments, uh, I think there's a message that they can learn as well from, from, from the work. I think business leaders can learn a lot from educators and I think educators can learn a lot from the business world. And so maybe I can uh, you know, help start that conversation with some folks.
0: You'd make a great secretary of education.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know, man. I got—I I don't play politics. But I'm too no, authentic. I know, I know. I'm, too, I'm way too honest, man. I'm way too honest.
0: Well, listen, before we sign off, is there one last thing you would like to say?
1: Oh, uh, that's great. I, I just want to say that the... The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, right? So anyone that's listening to this, whether you have a child in, in school or public education, or you have a friend that's an educator, or 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 whether you're just a business owner, please invest in your public schools. Time is more important than dimes, okay? Right? Time is more important than dimes. So if you're a business leader out there and you know that there's a public school that needs some help, have your employees go read to a child, have your employees take a walk uh, during recess and help watch recess. If our business leaders can invest more in their public schools, then that community is going to invest more in the business. There's a symbiotic relationship. And so, so often our business leaders are so in tune with the bottom line that they forget that there's a child out there. That is the next CEO. There's a child out there. That's the next employee. And if we can keep investing in public education, then our nation and our democracy will continue to flourish. So, you know, whether you're an educator or you're in business, keep investing in public schools, love your teachers, give those discounts if you can. Um, And just remember that public education is an amazing institution. um, If we just, listen
0: oh wow that is wisdom pearls of wisdom sage advice thank you so much nathaniel really from the bottom of my heart and i want to say on a personal note i've done tons of interviews this this is top of the list my friend. oh
1: thank you man that means a lot to me it means a lot to me
0: you're welcome you are a um You are a source of inspiration and a a light of hope for a lot of people. And I cannot acknowledge you enough for the work that you are doing and being called to do. So thank you. All right. And so to our viewers and our listeners, uh, hey, thank you for being here today. And so until next time, this is Jerry Foster, the big branding guy, also known as the branding evangelist, signing off. Take care. Jerry Foster here. Thank you so much for listening to my Brand Forward Leadership Podcast. Now, if you, if you are a successful service-based entrepreneur yourself and you've got amazing expertise, I mean services, skills, talents, and abilities that you offer through your company or yourself and you've been in business for five, 10 years or more and you would like to be a guest on this program, I would love to have you simply visit jerryfosterbranding.com forward slash brand forward leadership forward slash apply. And I will certainly check you out and get to know you and so on and so forth. Now, let me just add a couple of other things. Number one, if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media for me? And if so, just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on your socials, okay? And number two, if you know someone that you feel would be a great guest, someone that I should meet and connect with and so on and so forth, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag brand leadership because I love seeing your posts. I love guest suggestions. That's how we all grow. That's how we all connect and make it through this world which are through our relationships and our connections. And lastly, let me throw this in. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. I'm always on the lookout for not only great guests, but great content. And so therefore, because we're always putting great new stuff out, juicy stuff, make sure you don't miss any episodes in the future. So please go ahead and subscribe. And I also love what I love. Support, I love, love. (laughs) So your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. So if you can find it in your heart to go ahead and show me that kind of support and love, I would really appreciate it. And on a second note, if you would like to know more about me, the work that I do, simply go to my website at jerryfosterbrandy.com or follow me on LinkedIn or Facebook at JerryFosterBrandy or Instagram at Jerry Foster Big Brand Man. Okay? Jerry Foster Big Brand Man. Again, thanks for listening. Until we see you the next
1: time, take care.